بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and a very warm welcome to this program it is living the legacy where we look at ways and means in which we can as a community come together support each other um, as, as believers and have a better understanding of what's happening on the ground what's happening in the world and one of the things we want to do is widen or expand our window of of compassion and of empathy and one of the topics that often don't get discussed enough and perhaps we do talk about depression but we're maybe not talking about it openly or enough uh, or as a solution-based um, approach on the topic of teens and depression our guest today has spent many years in state academic psychiatry and is a diplomat of the College of Psychiatrists South Africa. He's also a qualified alim as well, graduated from the Jamia in Fordsburg. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim Saider, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Radio Islam. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Jazakumullah khair, mahiyakum for, for being with us we we understand um, your, your busy schedule but we are so grateful to be able to learn from you today on this topic and especially from a faith-based approach which is not easy to come across so perhaps if we were to start at the outset many of our listeners are mothers and fathers of, uh, of teenage children and even grandparents who are caregivers today of their teenage grandchildren. And the one question that many parents uh, think about or talk about is, well, our children have much easier lives than us. Uh, they have things so easy, their lives are full with convenience. And one question that leads up from those type, type of statements from parents is, why are, then, why are my teens feeling depressed? Why do teenagers feel depressed? Uh, and often it comes back to they have such comfortable lives. But perhaps if you could, from a faith base and from a medical perspective, give us more insight into this and help us understand why do so many teens feel depressed? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. رَبِّ شَرْحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْأُقْتَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي إِذَاهُ قَوْلِي Sarah, this is a very, as you pointed out, Hafidha, this is a very complex issue. Um, I suppose we are living in very different generations to our parents and our grandparents. And uh, the psychosocial stresses that are around teenagers today of very different complex nature compared to what happened maybe say 15 20 years ago um just looking at it from a from a, from a from a technological point of view um teenagers are exposed to so much more um just in the palm of their hands. I mean, I've seen uh, families where three-year-olds and four-year-olds are already familiar with how to use a tablet, for example. So they are living this alternate life almost, if you like. Um, and 
watching what is going on in other people's lives um socially um depending on what what their feed is showing and we are losing a whole generation to social media and this is what we are seeing directly in practice we're seeing the effect of this directly in practice um uh, the teenager would come in and say well i'm sad because uh you know so and so or my friend or i've seen other people going on glamorous holidays for example um is that as simplistic as that but uh that's one of the one of the contributing factors to why a teenager might present in a certain way um also they are becoming more aware of mental health issues so um if you ask a teenager from a generation before us uh say 20 30 years ago about depression they wouldn't know much but um teenagers are becoming more aware these days of what mental health is about and um are finding some outlets uh or are uh finding similarities between their lives and uh what those what what is being described um on social media about mental health so there's there's much more awareness there's much more um uh you know uh, uh distractibility if you want to call it uh, from from all of these different uh, social media outlets and i think uh, that together with the pressures of academia and uh, the, the rising pressures of academia i mean there's so much uh, of pressure on, on on students these days and learners these days to do the best to take on more subjects to take on more complex subjects that uh it makes a perfect recipe or uh, um, uh disaster for a storm mm, absolutely um you know when we you know one question that most parents will will bring up is that they often see their their children as being moody and we have this label or term and we say moody teenagers how how do we know when it's more than just moodiness are there any indicators any signs um for us as parents to to be aware of so i think the number one thing that um parents should look out for is when a child starts isolating so when it becomes just a bit more than moodiness but they begin isolating and um not spending time with the rest of the family or even reports from teachers that this child is now um becoming more isolated in the class that's one thing that we can look out for um the other thing is change in sleep and appetite patterns so uh my teenager is either sleeping too much um which is a common complaint or sleeping too little um that can be a marker for depression as well so insomnia or hypersomnia um and then appetite so uh is this child now eating as they used to 
or um, uh, are they eating too much? Uh, for example, you might know it as comfort eating um, or, or not eating enough uh, and losing weight. Um, yes, remember, we're also living in a very um, body image conscious world. So um, teenagers, um, including males, um, are very conscious of their bodies and what their body image is like. So um, when they feed in too much into that and that doesn't play out in the ideal way that they would like to, uh, then, then they might become depressed and, um, and, and, and worried about that. Another thing is, um, uh, you know, uh, and perhaps this will come up a bit later in the program, but um, I, I don't know if we're going to speak about it now, but, you know, the cyberbullying and um, what is going on in the cyber technological world is also something that we can, we can speak about, yeah. Tell us a bit more about that, please, because uh, we often address that in terms of, um, you know, some of the empowerment tools we can give our youth, but hearing that it affects their mental health is another perspective and that, that we also need to be aware of, and that's another possibility. Can you take us through a bit more on that and the cyberbullying and our children's or our teens' mental health? How does depression um, fit in with that? <laughs> So we must remember that teenagers today are exposed to a whole host of different platforms, right? Um, it's not just uh, what we know as WhatsApp, Instagram, and Twitter. It's much more than that. It's Facebook. It's TikTok. It's um, you know this 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 generation of Gen Z, as as we call them, um, are exposed to and and have um, access to so many different uh, platforms. Um, and what's even scarier is that now we are hearing of this new phenomenon that's coming up called the metaverse. Um, mm -hmm. And the metaverse basically is where um, you can enter a a room, for example, uh, while sitting in your own room, uh, enter another room of a cyber reality. This is already happening on a gaming level. Um, when kids are playing games, they are playing games with others from the comfort of their homes, but playing games and engaging with others. So I had a teenager come into the practice uh, the other day and told me that he wants to be a wolf. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I assessed this teenager and said, you know, he's not psychotic, so he's not, he's not delusional or thinks that he is a wolf, but it's to the point where he's been playing this game where he belongs to a pack of wolves. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's eaten up so much into him that he now wants to, you know, um, behave like one uh, outside of the game. Um, mm -hmm. He's become so involved in this, in this game where he is a wolf part of a pack of wolves that now that translates into his everyday life. So we are hearing of this metaverse coming up and uh, I want to speak a bit about this because it's quite a scary phenomenon. Um, 
We are hearing about children going into rooms where they are being groomed by pedophiles, for example, um, uh, and, and um, you know, uh, exposed to uh, adults and, and what adults get up to. Um, so this is a very scary phenomenon. So th- you might um, be familiar with, with, with these um, virtual reality glasses that, that you can wear. Um, I suppose they were first introduced when um, these uh, virtual reality uh, theaters were opened um, and, and people would wear these glasses and enter into a different realm. And it's becoming even more um, real than that. Uh, it's becoming where you actually walk into a room or a, another universe. But we are losing an insta- entire generation to to Instagram, to Twitter, to to uh, TikTok, um, and it's not becoming so subtle the bullying anymore. It's becoming more and more aggressive. Um, and teenagers are actually taking this very much to heart and uh, can present with uh, depressive symptoms then uh, to to their parents, to their families. And um, then parents need to be worried and, you know, have their radars up and think about what is going on. Is it something happening at school or is my child um, being bullied online? Definitely, yeah. That need for that door of communication uh, t- to be open always. Um, thank you so much, Azakumullah Khair, for, for highlighting that, for bringing that to to our attention. Um, you know, Doctor, we're talking about the, our teens now, where you explain to us what it is when, to understand when it's something beyond just moodiness. So, if we are to find our teens. Uh, in this prolonged state of, of, of low moods or uh, loss of appetite or change of behavior, what would the next step be for parents to support their teens? I think there's so many different parenting techniques out there, methodologies. People have their own way of parenting. And some parents will say, I don't want to be that helicopter parent. Uh, we've, we've discussed this previously about where do we strike the balance and how to parent in a prophetic way. Many parents feel, well, give them that space. You know, um, as, as someone part of the community or part of a family uh, and in this field uh, specifically, what would you say is the next step for parents? If they're noticing any of those uh, you know, different states that mood changes or the appetite changes, the behavior. What should parents be doing next to support their teens? So I think uh, you've touched on a very important point, and that is the, the the door of communication that we have with our with our children. So I think you know it's very important. It it just depends on the level of communication that is. That is that is present in the home. Um, in some homes, we find that um, children are very open with their parents and will communicate very easily with them and um, tell them exactly what is bothering them. In others, um, there's no there's total isolation. Um, it's you know a locked room and we don't know what the child is getting up to in that room um, and they often won't speak to the parents about whatever is going on in their lives 
um, they might confide in friends. Um, so if we are worried, we can maybe, you know, without infringing too much on the independence of the child, but, you know, if we are worried, they are children after all. So, you know, if we are worried, we can reach out to their friends, ask them if they know of anything that, the, that their friend is complaining about. But then really the next step um, would be to realize where our boundaries are in terms of our skill set as parents and where the professionals come in. So, um, you know, there's, there's so much that uh, I always say that, you know, a mother is a child's best psychologist. Uh, this is often very true. I mean, when, when we see patients in practice, um, the mothers usually know the most and are the best source of collateral or other information. Um, if, if failing that, if that doesn't work, then I think um, taking the child to a professional will, uh, will, will be very beneficial. And this doesn't mean that my child is crazy or mad or, you know, anything of that sort. Um, you know, we, sh we should break down this wall of stigma that is mm. um, mental health is in our legacy. Um, it's in our heritage. It's in our tradition. Um, you know, m Muslim physicians and, 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 and psychologists were at the forefront of uh, discovering, um, you know, the different dimensions of the mind. If we look at uh, Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, and his work on the, uh, on the nafs, the aql, the ruh, um, the qalb, you know, uh, you know, he's dedicated an entire chapter of the mysteries of the heart, ajayib al-qalb, in his, in his uh, ihya. So uh, we find scholars like him, we find scholars like uh, Abu Zayd al-Balqi, um, who came from a town called Balqi in Afghanistan, um, who describes uh, religious scrupulosity, or OCD, almost exactly as the latest guidelines from the West are coming out with. So, you know, this is our legacy. This is our heritage. This is not some psychobabble from the West. Yes, they have now, um, you know, altered it and changed it. Um, and there are good parts and bad parts. But if we go to a reliable Muslim practitioner, then, you know, we should expect um, that, you know, they, they treat my child or myself in a way that's slightly different than I would get from, from anyone else. So, um, so yes, the next step would be to a professional. Now, who do we go to? Um, it doesn't have to be directly to a psychiatrist, you know, we can start with, um, a child psychologist or in, uh, someone who's interested in children and adolescents. Because um, we're looking at that age of adolescence, so we can look at someone who is interested in, in children and adolescents. We can look at um, educational psychologists. Um, uh, we can, and, and, and then actual psychiatrists themselves. And then you get 
they are very few, but you you get ch- child psychiatrists. But general psychiatrists also can deal with children um, and often do. Um, and maybe with one of these people, your child will open up. Uh, if we give them that room of um, transparency and confidence um, with that with that counselor or psychologist or psychiatrist, then um, you know we can um, you know give them that 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 confidence that whatever you say here stays here unless it's something that's going to harm you. Then. Um, you know, they will open up and I've had this, you know, on many occasions, there are children who will come and tell me, um, I'm either, you know, um, addicted to uh, immoral things on the internet or I am, um, uh, I am ashamed of the way I look, but I'm too ashamed to tell my parents about it or, um, I'm feeling things that I shouldn't be feeling as a Muslim child, but I'm too ashamed to speak about it to my parents. Uh, But they will speak with me uh, because Mm -hmm. I make it quite open from the onset that the session is yours. And, um, you know, whatever you discuss here will remain confidential unless I feel, you know, it's going to harm you or harm someone else. Then I'll have to alert your parents. But otherwise, let's try and build a therapeutic alliance. That, that rapport, that relationship, it's so important. And when that, when that is established, um, you know, it's amazing how much these um, young adults um, and teenagers will open up and will speak to, to, to us. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking at Dr. Sager's um, Twitter account, and he posted something a while back, listeners, but um, just not too, not too long ago, earlier this month, but something that really stands out. And it says, please remember that mental illness exists and that psychiatric medications can be life-saving despite the claims of anti-psychiatry zealots and wellness gurus, uh, gurus who don't at all understand the nature and ravaging magnitude of mental illness, thus needing everything we have in our toolbox to treat psychiatric illnesses. Enough with the pull shaming. You can follow Dr. Seder for more on this, as well as about um, you know breaking that stigma of mental health. Uh, Dr. puts up this amazing post about the holistic Islamic psychiatric wards that were dedicated to mentally ill people centuries ago. So really to get us out, and that takes us to the next question um, that we want to talk to you today about because uh, I have loved ones who have mental health illnesses and for me uh, you know professionals in the mental health field uh, people like yourself are really heroes because you're able to help our loved ones um, you know get back a quality of life and their sense of dignity and their purpose to life so I am I'm indebted and in awe of uh, professionals like yourself may Allah bless you all I mean but there's still the stigma and the shame. And I'm so passionate about us breaking away from that stigma. Uh, where, uh, you know, there's shame, there's stigma, there's guilt, there's spiritual gaslighting, and our youth are really affected by that. So even if you have youth nowadays who come and speak up and say, I need, I need help, 
I'm, I'm not feeling sad, it's more than sad, or you have even older people, but let's stick with youth who we're talking about today. And so they go to their parents, or they go to their, their appas, their teachers, uh, they, they go to their sports coaches, and they say, I need help, I think. Meaning, I need more than just you telling me to be positive. And very much our youth are very much, uh, you know, in tune, many of them, with how they feel. But as you mentioned, it may be the parents, it may be friends, it may be teachers, the community as a whole, where the idea is, well, if you're going to a psychiatric doctor, we often use very derogatory terms like loony bin, mm. nutcase, mm. madhouse. And we're putting this out on the on air now so that we can start clearing through that because I don't think that is way as a Muslim as Muslims the way we should be speaking uh, to people who are reaching out for help who are ready to be helped. So, Doctor, take us through that. Why, firstly, do we have the stigma? Because the stigma attached to mental health illnesses. Have, has actually, you know, devastated so many youth's lives. Many of them only seek help much later in their lives. And at some point, it's, it's gone into such a stage where many of them have just given up seeking help. So they're living with that shame. They're living with that stigma. And if it's not them, then it's the parents. What will people say? Uh, what will the family say? What will the community say? What will my friends at the masjid say? What will the sisters at Ta'aleem say? How can I take my children to a mental health doctor, to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So tell us why there's a stigma. And then maybe you can help us uh, to, to overcome this as a society. What, what would you, how would you be able to help us on this front, please? So when I was in medical school, you know, as a young medical student, and I was very drawn to the subset of patients because I felt that mental health patients, I saw them languishing in, in these wards for months, you know, without much support from the outside. Um, and I felt like they were the most vulnerable of the lot because, I mean, if you, if, if someone breaks their arm or, um, you know, has some sort of surgery, then, you know, get well soon, cards arrive and flowers arrive and meals arrive, but there's this whole lot of people who are suffering in silence. Um, and it's because of the stigma. Now, and when I was in medical school, I thought maybe by the time I come out, um, you know, the stigma will go away. And maybe by the time I, you know, finish studying, um, uh, we would have broken down this wall of stigma. But it's still there. It's still very much there. You know, I was away in Istanbul for most of uh, lockdown for over a year um, and uh, it, it, the experience that I had there was much different compared to the South African context. I mean there people are much more um, open to this idea of, of mental health. Even I, I serve on the um, I serve on the faculty of, of Khalil Center, which is a Muslim mental health center in North America with, with branches in all over North, North America and uh, now working in Istanbul as well. And there's not this, this, this such, a, such a strong uh, stigma and wall again, against mental health. So there's something within the South African context and more particularly within the the South African Indian context, um, you know, there's this 
there's this, we would often hear, I think maybe a generation or two ago, we would hear that, you know, so-and-so has nerves or um, they had a breakdown or they're not too well, so, you know, they sting at home. But it wasn't spoken about openly, you know, what exactly is this nerves? Um, uh, uh, you know, is it a bipolar disorder? Because when I'm taking a history from a patient, um, I want to know because, you know, there's very much of a genetic um, component to mental health disorders. So I want to know, is there someone in your family that has suffered from um, a mood disorder, uh, whether it is unipolar depression or bipolar disorder or a psychotic disorder or, you know, a substance use disorder? These are also genetic things. So, you know, I want I want to know that. But often they can't give me that that information because it wasn't spoken about so openly or it was spoken about in euphemistic terms. Um, so, so really, you know, we have a long way to go to break down the stigma and think the more, the more types of programs like this we have, the better, um, the more we, we, we make it open and we say, yes, I have been to, um, uh, to a psychiatrist, I have been to a psychologist, um, uh, and and yes, I was suffering from A, B, and C. No one is saying go to the rooftops and shout out your diagnosis, but you know, I think it's time that we move away from this hidden, um, uh, you know, hidden these hidden illnesses and start talking more openly about them. So then, others who are going through the same thing, and we'll be we'll be shocked at. You know, even your neighbor, who you might be seeing on a daily basis, um, uh, might be going through almost similar thing. Um, so, you know, it's quite prevalent, but quite hidden at the same time, quite shameful to talk about. And I think we need to open up the conversation. We need to um, uh, feel unashamed about these diagnoses and talk more openly about them. That's the only way we're going to start breaking down the stigma because there's only so much that us as in the fraternity can do. Um, mm. But on a social level, um, this needs to be broken down. And I think, I think our teenagers deserve some credit when it comes to this because they uh, speak much more openly about these things. And um, yes, we're not saying blame everything on, you know, I'm depressed or I'm sad or, you know, what, whatever it is. But, but yes, they, they, they speak more openly. They, they have more information at hand. Um, they are learning more rapidly. They are exposed more. And um, they, they, are, they are quicker to, uh, to speak about these things. The challenge comes in when other children or other families now make it a point of, of, um, of shame or, or, or fun or, um, you know, degradation. That's where the problem is. We're talking about faith and you mentioned um, your goal and your work is in and your legacy, inshallah, is in bringing 
the, the medical treatment and help and support that people need together with the deen. How can, how can our deen help and support Muslim teens that are struggling with depression? So you must remember that this is a very real thing. Um, first of all, Allah Ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in, in verse, in verse 155, uh, Allah Ta'ala says, That uh, he, he mentions a few things that he will definitely test us in the noon of the Aqeed. The noon of you know definiteness is used that we will definitely test you um, with some form of fear. So you know this can also be interpreted as as distress in terms of depression. Uh, our noble master Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us this beautiful dua which is found in Sahih al-Bukhari that Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. That, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from worry and grief and sadness. So if this was not a real thing, why would why would it be mentioned in the Qur'an? And why would Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam seek refuge from it? And teach it to us. And, uh, you know, in one narration comes that, you know, that, that this was quite a, a frequent dua of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So... Mm-hmm. Frequently, he would ask for refuge from worry and grief and sadness. And many times displayed sadness himself in his life uh, when he lost dear ones or when when something that provoked sadness happened. So, um, you know, first of all, we need to realize that it's very real and it's real from our deen, from the tradition itself. You know, it's, it's, it's recognized in the tradition, it's recognized in the sunnah, and uh, once we realize that, then we can extend it into, now let's find faith-based solutions to, uh, to these problems. And I'm not saying it's a very easy thing to, to, to locate. Um, Many people were just practicing in, in a similar way to everyone else. But if we can't find someone that is that is ready to to marry the two, and um, as I said, this is something that I'm very passionate about, is how can we marry our legacy in Dean with um, with with, with with science and with what we what we learned in medical school, so yes, a lot of it would be um, not what we agree with that comes out from the West. But there's a lot that they are discovering now that we have had the tools of many years ago. I mean, they're now doing double-blinded trials of mindfulness um, uh, in depressed patients compared to those given medication, compared to those given placebo. And um, so, you know, mindfulness is being seen as something that uh, can help people who are depressed. And what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is this muhasaba, muraqaba, um, and you know sitting down reflecting on our day reflecting on what I've done to hurt someone else reflecting on what I've done 
you know, to help someone else, what I've done um, to hurt myself or, um, you know, what am I proud of that I've done today and what are my goals for for the next day? So this musharafa comes in, um, you know, to set goals and 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 then and then uh, uh, engage in 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 dhikrullah and and see how much of peace and solace that that brings together with tilawah of quran so you know we find there's so many tools as i said there's so many tools in our toolbox that we can use and that as muslim practitioners we should be advocating for and we should be prescribing as part so i have i have a template um um, so uh, the template would, would differ from patient to patient but or from illness to illness. But a very generic one could be something like, you know, um, your, uh, a, a tick box for your, uh, your, your five daily salah, your, your, uh, your portion of Quran, then your, you know, your surah yasin for the day, your evening surahs. Um, uh, your adhkar, uh, you know, uh, uh, part of your treatment should, this should form part of the treatment. So, I'm, yes, I'm prescribing medication. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. doing psychotherapy. But at the same time, I am um, implementing this type of templates that, um, that the patient can use to sort of keep themselves grounded um, mm-hmm. to, to some, for, some form of faith-based healing. MashaAllah, beautiful, alhamdulillah. You've given us many, many tools and uh, ways and, you know, how to approach, how to reach out, how to break the stigma and move away from that taboo uh, uh, approach or outlook or avoidance, uh, you know, approach that many of us have towards mental health illness. Uh, We've learned so much from you. Um, um, I myself have adult uh, child, but uh, it's just interesting. I've learned so much about teens and depression through what you've shared uh, with us today and there are many challenges our youth are facing in this time day and age but alhamdulillah and we make dua that uh, our, our communities are blessed with more uh, professionals such as yourself who bring in the faith-based approach and um, that holistic approach may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to use you for the service of our communities and the ummah at large may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you in goodness and uh, may you continue to inspire more of our youth who are going into the medical field to join you in this um, in this field um, as, as we, we've learned in COVID times that there is such a need uh, as mental health issues are on the rise. So may Allah reward you and we are very much looking forward to interacting with you again in the future as we continue on this mission of um, breaking the stereotypes and stigma attached to mental health illness. Jazakumullah khairan doctor for your, for your time today for really, um, you know, really just taking us through what it would be like for a teenager, letting us uh, learn with you and from you on point of empathy and understanding and, you know, expanding that tolerance and, and compassion that is so much needed in today's time. Jazakumullah khairan today. Thank you. Mabrook to your, um, to Radio Islam for, um, you know, uh, highlighting this issue, I mean, there's there's very few opportunities that we get to actually talk about these things. So, barakallahu uh, fiqum and jazakumullah kullakhir. 
you know, for allowing us to uh, to, to to lend some voice to, to the plight of these um, uh, patients and 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 and, and people um, at large. Uh, I, I look forward to uh, further conversations of these type. Jazakumullah khair, Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Doctor, so took us through understanding why is it that many teens feel depressed? How to understand the difference between just moodiness and then when those youth, those teens need further medical support. And we spoke at length about um, the stigma and the shame attached to youth seeking mental health help. And finally, Dr. took us through how our Iman, our faith, is so central to supporting ourselves, our teenagers through depression. We make dua that for any of our listeners or your loved ones who are experiencing any type of mental health illness or challenge, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for them and for you, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants them afiyah. Ameen. You can read more on the interesting tweets, reflective tweets by Dr. Ibrahim Seder on Twitter, Ibrahim, spelled with an E, underscore Seder, S-A-D-E-R, or on Instagram at um, Dr. It's Dr. Ibrahim, again with an E, Seder, all in one, Dr. Ibrahim Seder. More on his posts on different topics as well as his radio interviews and other events on mental health. If there's other topics on mental health that you'd like us to cover, please let us know and we will put that into our uh, future topics list, inshallah. Drop us an email to hana at radioislamlive.com and until next week, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.